the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. The good, the bad, and the Boucherian. And folks, you're listening to the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. And it's such a big mix that it's very difficult to distinguish between what I was lucky in and what I actually worked towards. I was uh, the guy who could read math. Most guys can't do that. Like yeah. I take the, I take the book, I read it as if I'm reading some literature, and that's enough for me. There's no way. There's no way, bro. That that was literally enough for me. I was this close to a suspension, but it was academic based, so there was no grounds. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And uh, so it became so bad that now it became automatic that when my math teacher gets in, I get out. Mm. So when I see math on the timetable, I just take my books, I get out. Damn. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's how it had been till form four. <laughs> no way. You know, yeah. I thought it would end somewhere. You guys get, make a consensus. Then form, so from form one, form four, you literally didn't do math with your teacher. No. Math was me and my book. The only issue was that um, my, I had to do exams. So he mm. couldn't deny me that. And that's the reason why he was angry at me for four years. Because <laughs> mm. the papers are randomly shuffled. So you don't know whose paper you're marking. And sometimes uh-huh. it was not. And then I would get my clean hundred all the time. <laughs> then mm-hmm. my dad was like, there is no way we are going to be paying fees in sterling pounds mm. and my return on investment comes back in Kenya shillings. I'll take yes. 90 years making that money back. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah you, people, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, when people normally say that education is an investment, mm. my dad takes that very seriously to the point where he actually does the numbers. I had one weird experience though. Um, I was given a company truck and uh, I fell in a lake. <laughs> What? With the truck. What do you mean? So it's like my father my father tries to trigger this whole race of the best child in terms of academia. You get? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember when my sister finished her high school, she did better than me in KCSE. Mm-hmm. So my father's like, ah, you even did better than Newton. That mm. means you're, you're destined for even greater things than what you'll ever get. So that at least in as it's not I don't want I don't want it I don't want to be looked at as one of those variables in the Brendan metrics of Kenya. Like I don't yeah. want to be a lost intellect entity for Kenya because I decided to leave. Mm. You get? Yeah. I want I want to create home in such a way that you don't have to think of leaving. So I think that the thing the thing about people is the thing about people is the fact that systems don't work at home completely. Yes. Like either there's too much bureaucracy, there's lack of goodwill, or or there's mm. a complete mismatch between how do I put it? There's a complete mismatch between skills and opportunities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because you're finding a whole trained engineer in your matatu as a conductor. And then you're finding that somebody who should be the conductor is seated in a public office claiming to know what to do for Kenyans. 
it's your boy billy and we're back at it with another episode hope you guys are keeping well keeping safe and things are going well on your side as they are on mine actually i got a few responses from some of you guys telling me how you guys are excited for the new year and are hoping for new blessings and new opportunities for yourselves so i'm praying for the same for you guys and for the podcast as well so we'll keep you posted on that and today my guest in studio is newton obocha a final year mechanical engineering student based in Canada. He's a true global citizen and he knows how to seek opportunity and find a way to get it no matter what. I think his uh, perseverance and consistency, he'll talk about that in the podcast. And he approaches life from a very different and whole perspective to most of his fellow counterparts. And shares, today he shares with us what he thinks and how he got to where he is, what steps he took to get into some of the opportunities he otherwise wouldn't have gotten if he did the ordinary so newton how are you hey how are you i'm in kosawa i'm good how are you i'm good just from the gym i'm feeling very refreshed and rejuvenated i was late for school so i had to drive how come uh, I missed my bus. Um, it's winter right now, so bus intervals take longer if the mm-hmm. roads are a little bit uh, bad. Mm-hmm. So had I gone by transit, I would be late for class. So I had to drive. I'm never getting that $20 for parking back. <laughs> small, small money. I... Eh, small is relative. <laughs> if you're buying a house this year, what is $20? I'm not so sure about that. It's a dream. Yeah, but, uh, which can be actualized. Do you have a plan? You're not just dreaming. Are you dreaming <laughs> abstract? Yeah, true. <laughs> exactly. So even on that point, was your dream ever to get to where you are today? Did you ever think you'd be where you are as you are as of now? Um, how do I put this? Um, there's a blend of luck mm-hmm. and the choice that came to where I am right now. And it's such a big mix that it's very difficult to distinguish between what I was lucky in and what I actually worked towards. Mm-hmm. But I still believe my hard work got me where I am. As uh, there's this thing, I don't know how it goes, something to do with uh, hard work and luck is where, I don't know, opportunity, I don't know how it goes, but you know what yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah. If I'm being very honest, mm-hmm. no, but um how do I put it? Based off my past uh actions, my past goals brought me to here and I'm actually happy that I'm here and uh the dominoes are still falling. So <laughs> So let's first obviously my listeners don't know where here is. So you'll tell us where this here is, but first before saying where the here is, let's go. Okay. To... Do you want me to start with the here or the hard work first? <laughs> Just let's backtrack a bit. You tell me what you think was luck, what, how this domino was played out, why you think things worked right, what the decisions you made that you think, yes, this decision was a right move. You know, as I've read that's not, that when others play checkers, the right people are playing chess. So clearly, <laughs> for you, you've been playing chess. So tell me about chess. Tell me about little Newton. So little Newton, um, I was a very typical guy at home, um, just went to basic school like everyone else, thought the same way. So 
had I stayed in the same line, then I'd probably still be like any other person. Mm-hmm. Where things started diverging was high school. So um, after primary Makini, nilepelekwa the Miranda. Hey, <laughs> but okay, I let you have it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, the clash has to be settled. <laughs> uh, if you're but anyway, college, let's not it. digress too much okay. on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh-huh. um, so um, I don't know. You've done an episode on Miranda. Yeah. And I think you know Makini. So yeah. there's that very big divergent culture shock that I really got when mm-hmm. I got to high school. And um, I honestly had no idea how I was going to survive in this. The field did not have a single blade of grass. It was dry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was so dust. And then I saw the students go for like a tea break. And the uniforms were all dead. Like they were so bad. So yellow. And mine was so new. And somebody was like, your uniform is going to get there at some point. So I was like, yeah. Jesus Christ. So anyway, I got acclimatized in my own unique way. I got a good, I got a good couple of form threes who, for for a bit of time, they protected me. I found my way through the system. Um, I don't want to get into the nitty gritties because I don't want to dwell so much on that high school. But one thing I always had was math. <laughs> mm. Math was a very nice refuge for me, and um, I've had a rep with that subject in my high school. In primary school, it didn't matter because uh, everyone was like me in math. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. In high school, I had a, I kind of had a rep. I was uh, the guy who could read math. Most guys can't do that. Like, yeah. I, take, take, I take the book, I read it as if I'm reading some literature, and that's enough for me. There's no way. There's no way, bro. That that was literally enough for me. So How? I used to. Mm-hmm. I only read four books of math in high school. For high school math, that was KLB form one. I did form four. And that was, was enough. There. That was enough for me. <laughs> no way. For the math in high school, uh-huh. I read everything there, and for some weird reason, I understood everything through the whole process. The only problem came when my math teacher used to try and teach it his way, which I acknowledged was fine. Mm-hmm. But the thing about me is my adamance to sticking to what I've read and I've absorbed raw from the books, you get? Yeah. I'm not disputing him. I'm just sticking to what I have read, I have understood in my own way, and it works. Yeah, so it's not like I'm doing any shortcut methods. It's literally the that's different from his. This case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this put me in a bad relationship with my my math teacher, and uh, that was in form one. That was barely with three. Then really? It was yeah. that early. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> then uh, I got kicked out of my math class. Like. That first time when you're kicked out and then told to kneel down outside. Mm-hmm. Well, I did that like any other person would do. And uh, I thought it was going to be the only time it was going to happen. Yeah. Then it happened again and again. Then we developed this very sour relationship by the midterms. <laughs> <laughs> and this is for, for one first time. 
yeah, this is for one first time. The definitions to Nasoma. <laughs> Bro. Uh-huh. Um, so we got it so it got so bad. I was taken to admin to talk to the what do you call them? The, this teacher's director of studies in our school, we called them DOS and deputies. I was this close to a suspension, but it was academic based, so there was no grounds. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And uh, so it became so bad that now it became automatic that when my math teacher gets in, I get out. Mm. So when I see math on the timetable, I just take my books, I get out. Damn. Uh-huh. And that's how it had been till form four. <laughs> no way. You yeah. may thought it would end somewhere. You guys get, make a consensus. Then form, so from form one, form four, you literally didn't do math with your teacher. No. Math was me and my book. The only issue was that um, my, I had to do exams. So he mm. couldn't deny me that. And that's the reason why he was angry at me for four years. Because <laughs> mm. the papers are randomly shuffled. So you don't know whose paper you're marking. And sometimes uh-huh. it was not. And then I would get my clean hundred all the time. <laughs> you know, this is so crazy to me because high school math. Wow. Even that's yeah, that's that the thing. Guys... That's I'm telling you. That's why uh-huh. I'm interjecting. That's why I'm no, telling you. Uh, my story is very weird. <laughs> eh, 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 respect, bro. Math. Eh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it got. I, I developed a rep. Like people knew me for that. And um, there was this other friend of mine. His name was Charles Opio. Mm-hmm. Asayana Soma Seoul Uni, International Uni. Is it South Korea? If I'm not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, he's on scholarship, but I'll come back to that as to how he even got that. The same mm. math gave him that blessing. Mm. So um, he was also a guy like me, but he was he was willing to bend to butter the teacher a little bit so that he can actually be a normal student and sit in class, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, basically, the whole math department loved me, except the ones who taught me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that I was trying to prove a point. It's just that I'm willing to learn, but you can't force me to do it exactly how you do it. I'd actually, mm. expect, I'd actually expect somebody to appreciate that effort. Yeah. But the fact that you're shunning it made no sense to me. Mm. So fortunately, or unfortunately, I don't know, being kicked out allowed me to get math off my way. So by end of form two, I was pretty much done reading everything. Till form four, four. yeah, I was done. <laughs> I could do any exam from form one to form four, however I wanted, whenever I wanted, and that was it. <laughs> Let me just ask another question: How long were you t- taking to do the exams? When I was struggling with it, was it two hours or two and a half? How long did you take to take you to do the typical exam for you? Um, I don't even remember. You know, it's been like five, six years. Um. It would take me, paper one used to be easier, so it would take me 45 to one hour. That's everything, mm. section A and B, kila kitu, no chasing Kila kitu? Yeah, kila kitu. Section A and B, yote. So they just choose what they want to mark from your paper? They used to mark everything, but then it's they'll rank me based on my first five. Five, yeah. Yeah, you know that's how I go. So... Yeah, paper two would take me probably like 20, 30 minutes longer than that. And that was mm. it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um essentially that's how it worked for me. And then um I decided to enter some are they called co-curricular or extracurricular? I don't even know that. I think extra means not related to school, but co means relates to academics. Compliment, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in high school, we have this weird stuff like the Brookside Math Contest and all that. Mm-hmm. So, I would sign up for those and I would spend more time just focusing on those because those are not the new stuff you get. But they're yeah. not that new. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I used to just do them in passing. So, Yostorika, Kapita Tuivo. So, that was not a big deal. So, the math contest that kind of now took a toll was. Uh, I, I'm sure even Alliance Mulifanya Marakada, or you've heard of it, they, that international math, is it the International Math Olympiad? Yeah. Yeah, so we had it for the, I think my class was the first group of people who heard about it. Mm-hmm. So Mimi, na Charles, Tukamua, na Grandi Kitu. So we asked, there was this one teacher who really liked us for that math ability we had, and he was like, okay, he got us all the textbooks we needed, and I suddenly felt like I was being forced to read university math in high school just to get through a contest. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And now, here is now where it was defined that Charles was better than me in that math. Because <laughs> <laughs> he got to go, into, he got to represent Kenya internationally. I got to Morocco and I was done there. <laughs> at hey. Pan-Africa level. <laughs> what didn't happen for you? Um. So, the Pan-African one has a gender... It has this gender quota where it has to be have three boys and three girls. Mm-hmm. But then the top six overally are the ones who go for the international one. And that happened to be more skewed for, um, how they put it, the girls. Mm. So it, there were four girls who were top, which knocked me off to number. I was number seven, but because of that quota, I got a chance to go. And the girl who was, I think, number five didn't get a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because she was the fourth girl on the list. So oh. there's that, yeah, it's a weird stream organization thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was my experience with math. Um, Charles was able to get a scholarship out of that experience. And uh, for me, I was able to use this as to sell myself to get admission to my current university. Honestly, I was planning to drop out in this contest at the national level when we were doing the exams in UN. I actually met some lifelong, some primary school friends who happened to also come for that contest. The likes of, I think you remember Pascal Oguel, Mulikwana yeah. Alliance. Yeah, he was my classmate in primary. Colleen, Alkwa Girls, mm. friend in primary. Yeah, so we all met there again. So Makin is the yeah. trick. Okay, noted. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh-huh. But maybe you should check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I fast forward that. That was, that was my math experience. So math used to be my thing. And uh, since math was fine, I was okay with physics. I was actually really good in physics. We were in the same class with the child for physics. And we always aced it. So getting admission to college was not that big of a deal. I wasn't initially thinking of coming here to Canada at all. Like, that was never the plan. I was actually this pro-Kenyan guy. Oh, I have to stay at home and help people back here. Mm. Let's leave the world alone. Mm-hmm. Then, um, how do I remember? So on 27th November 2017, I even remember the date. 
ndio nilimaliza KCSE then my dad came for me and then um from school and then now we were driving to the airport so we fly to Nairobi then he suddenly had this panic attack on the way because mm-hmm. he just realized that his teenage son had just finished high school and was going to be free for eight months hey. <laughs> it wasn't settling for him at all uh-huh so um we got and then i think there was a strike going on at the time because that's what influenced these decisions that happened we got home that night and then the news there was a strike at un i don't know if it was lecturers or students mm. my father just looked at it and me i was just seated there finally eating good food and then hey. my father was like you're not studying in kenya if these are the problems that are out there you're not studying in kenya mm. then i was like oh god what just happened i was here thinking it under juja because that was my first choice <laughs> really yeah i chose the uh, jquat to do civil engineering mm-hmm. yeah i'll explain why plans changed a little bit for the degree as well <laughs> uh uh-huh um so nikajua hapo sasa nikubaya and my father was like and there it was also in this panic that i was going to be free so it was like so between now and july we have to find you something then uh, but... i had a friend in my compound and mm-hmm. his track a year before me and uh, he did uh, the IFY thing in Brookhouse then my dad was like you're going to Brookhouse yeah just like that and the following day I was in uniform again <laughs> <laughs> but it's Brookhouse i mean <laughs> No, but I was back in uniform again. You don't get that did not resonate well with me. And uh, he's like, "You'll go for that program. They get people abroad, right? Go for yeah. that program. Then we'll see what happens." So the plan was to end the Brookhouse to Malaysia to end the UK. You know those universities that they sponsor, right? That you go yeah. for. Yeah. So mimi ndio huyo nikaenda. Met a couple of primary school friends. Actually my best friend finally we got reunited after so many years. We got scattered a little bit after primary school. Yeah, Lienda Alliance. Sijuika shule maisha limlemea ama hi. Nani nikwambie kama ilimlemea? Kelvin Smato. I don't think you even met him. He I left. <laughs> yeah, you did. He's my boy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So akaenda light akamaliza yeah. then we met again there. But mm. him he went to UK as we speak right now he's pursuing his PhD. Eh. Eh, eh. Yeah, pressure. 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 That's pure pressure now. <laughs> But anyway, kila mtu na kila mtu na jani yake. Uh, I'm not in a rush. Yeah. Um so where where was I with that story? Yeah, that so if we go on and to ask um you uh-huh. were the school captain in your school, right? And so I think when your school captain of some of these schools your parents have some pride that you know you're the school captain of Maranda you know so what what made your dad a bit uneasy with you staying home knowing that that his son is someone who's uh, had working someone who's you know studious so why why the panic why did he feel eh who are you because you know there's children who probably if you have Billy staying home for eight months your parents <laughs> would be like ah 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 who are you wow 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 this is why we lose our son But if you have Newton why was your father panicking how would i put this it's not how i wouldn't really call it panic he is just he's just like that like he doesn't like people not doing anything yeah he's those guys of you're doing nothing like why 
<laughs> yeah. So that's the reason why he was having that issue. Like he couldn't, because he knew very well that I was probably just going to wake up and then sleep and then wake up and sleep almost every day until the day I realized that I'm not too bored to do that. And mm. probably it'll be, yeah, in simple terms, he doesn't want me to be very idle. That's yes. how he's just generally that guy. He likes people being busy. Mm. Um, so let's. And with uh, that as well, before you go on, again, another question I to ask was um, with you again in high school, probably tell me how that, this even plays out in your current life. How when you decide to become adamant to your ways and not bend over for your, your math teacher. And just, you know, uh-huh. fit into the status quo. Like, for you, how were you able to, you know, be steadfast and say, I know what, like, I'm not disputing you, but I know what I'm doing and I want to do it my way. And you know for how, obviously, you said clearly that uh, teachers take that very personally. But for you, how were you able to, again, know that, um, that like, and, and stick to the ways you've said? Because, again, I, I can imagine that, for example, if you want to be a captain, teachers have a say in it, probably. And so if you're in wrangles as a teacher, probably they'd curtail your dreams. So for you, how are you still able to make it to be school captain and still um, <laughs> stay out of your math teacher's class for the whole four years? Okay. That's actually a really good question. Um, so let's get this straight first. My adamance does not come from indiscipline. You mm. get Mm. My adamance comes from me being allowed to learn on my terms, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. So, basically, it looks like it looks like a trait that could be demeaning for some teachers, but in in proper insight, in proper insight to it, you'll probably realize that it actually is what you may need in a captain. <laughs> yes, you get it's mm-hmm. actually something you may need in a captain because. Teachers can be very short-sighted about issues that mm. students are, are facing, right? Mm. And students can also be very short-sighted about the mechanics of how a school runs. All they want is more free time. All they want is to not clean the dormitories. All they want is just to have it easy. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah? Mm. So I was more of a... I'd listen, and then I would try to find the best middle ground possible. Mm. And anytime I realize that one side is being excessively skewed, that's mm-hmm. now when I intervene and now my adamance would actually come into play because the principal made sure that the people who end up in those positions are not yes men, if that makes sense. Ah, nice. He doesn't uh-huh. want somebody to go in his office and only say yes to him because yes. he will never really understand what the students are going through if he just makes rules and policies and he thinks that those work but students are suffering in silence and I'm here being an inhibitor. Yet I should be the person telling him that I know you are trying to achieve something here, but no. it's, not, mm. it's, it's not working out. Yeah. So I would say that character trait actually brought me in favor with mm. many of the teachers. And um, all you need is a majority. I don't need to please all the teachers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it was also a game of numbers in this case. So I was willing to lose a few along the way because some people want yes men mm. for context. Yeah. And um, the fact that I could say no to some teachers and that mean the students liked it. I was also, how do I put it? I was more of a very diplomatic, though aloof, 
I was very diplomatic with my fellow mates. So I'd be asking, like, what exactly is the issue? If I'm trying to tell them to do something, I'd try and find out if there's any issue to the request that I've presented. For mm-hmm. me, it was less of orders. I really didn't care about, how do I put it? I really didn't care about that, added, the that power. power that comes with captainship. For me, mm-hmm. I was in need to help others and for my convenience. If I'm being, I can't deny. There was some yeah. convenience. <laughs> I was, I would operate on my own schedule. Yeah. Without any consequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I always tried my best to find the middle ground. Many people wangeita unyonge, many people wangeita that he's not as strict as he's supposed to be. But I saw it as a way to actually make things work. Because at the end of the day, everybody has to do what's needed to be done. But you also have to understand where that instruction is coming from. Mm. Yeah. So that got me favor with a lot of students. So I was able to pass the admin based on just my natural traits. Then I was able to pass uh, the students through the whole democracy process of electing the leaders. And hence me being a captain. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what else you want me to say about that. And with that as well, how how would you, um, how like what is it a personality thing or was it an active decision for you to not be the leader who wants to, you know, show the power to the fellow students? Because I know in that system, because even as we had it, where obviously this is a succession system where everyone before you has had this, as you said, for you people would say that you're not as strict as you're supposed to be. So everyone ahead of you was was loading over the other students would use their power and abuse their power really so for you what made you different in terms of your leadership and not and not let that power get to you because for a lot of people i even have people on the podcast confess that that power actually gets to you like you know how people say power corrupts and it's actually a true thing where once you get that power and like school captains had a lot of power like for you how are you able to still remain newton without letting it corrupt you well, how would I put it? Um, I know that my predecessors may have had their own faults in their own unique ways, mm. but there were still lessons learned. And to some degree, for me to have gotten where I got, there was some interaction, there was some mentoring that came from them, though they were not exactly eye to eye with mm. a good chunk of students. But at the end of the day, you remember people by their legacies. So that's what was, that was my bottom line. I made sure that when people say during Newton's time, it doesn't sound very gruesome. Being at the top, you tend to make decisions that affect a lot of people in very many ways. But you see, the, the essence of being there, you make decisions at a macroscopic level, you really don't see the micros. Yeah. Mm. So you may admit something like to this date, I also get te- random texts from people I probably don't know from Instagram telling me that um, when I did, when I said, or I said, when I enforced ABC, I had him in one, two, three ways. And I wasn't exactly in good books with him. I wasn't being that to be a people pleaser. That was one mm. thing. That's why I wasn't being very apologetic about the decision I made. I was just apologetic about how it ended up affecting him at a personal level. Mm. Because I have seen how people have left high school with traumas. Mm. 
I mean, I being a captain, I don't want to... People, I know people would probably find this offensive, but by me saying I also had my traumas, people find that very ironical because I was very insulated from it based on how my life in high school panned out. Yeah. I ended up in this position where I was not exactly in rough uh, feathers with... Uh, I was not rough in feathers with the teachers. I pretty much operated my own style, and that was fine. So my experience was not exactly in line with others. So I couldn't speak from a point of empathy for most of these guys. The best I could do was apologize about affecting them at a personal level. But at the end of the day, it's about what I want Newton to be remembered for at a macroscopic level. Because in as much as I may have done that, he still appreciates that I tried to be as moderate as I could be to make sure that everyone's life during my tenure was fine. Because mm. that was my whole job anyway right <laughs> mm, yeah yeah the only issue was even the the process on me getting there was a little bit rough because i wasn't the directly elected captain i was actually a deputy mm-hmm. and our school had this it's like the kenyan system where you vie with the running mate so i was actually someone's running mate but then this guy he's the one who's the power got to his head mm. so i was i was in this council that was a little bit iffy and through disciplinary issues with him i don't want to dwell on that so much he got suspended and uh, you can't be a captain with a suspension on your on your file so he lost his position and uh, by law of succession i got elevated so i had to look for a new deputy and now it was my job to overhaul everything Mm. so in simple terms because the the, captain, the, the previous captain had influenced the people who got into those positions, people who were just like him. I had to make sure that I tried to tame those people as much as possible so that the rep overhauls, because people would remember it as my counsel, because I got the bigger yeah. half of it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. So I think the fact that I knew what I wanted to do with it and the fact that it was a struggle to turn it all around made me stick to that goal. If I had succeeded earlier, I really can't tell what would have, what it would have meant for me for the rest of my tenure. But I can't speak on hypotheticals on that, so I just pretty much go with how things panned out for me. I wouldn't say I succeeded a hundred percent, but I did my best. So, um, based off of that mission of trying to overhaul the whole thing. It was a it was a big stride, I'd have to say. I felt like I was this solo man trying to keep everyone in check. So it started looking like internal wrangles, but at the end of the day, I tried my best. I don't want to dwell on hypotheticals on whether I had succeeded fully. If I had succeeded fully, what would have happened after that? But let's just say I spent all of my time working on that overhaul. Mm. So Maybe there were some permanent changes I made along the way. There's no real way of telling. I'd have to talk to the younger students who I left behind. Most of who, not even most, all of whom have already finished high school. Yeah. Yeah, to know that. But I was looking forward. Once I left that school, I kept my friends, but I was not looking ahead. I didn't want to go back because there was a lot of good and bad <laughs> that came with and the <laughs> yeah mm. yeah i don't want to dwell so much on that yeah now you're life. taking me back to fy now yeah 
You cannot take yeah. me back to FY. Yeah. Yeah. I'll fast forward that so that I end up here. So the plan was UK. Mm-hmm. Um, you know there's a university fair that comes with the whole program that happens somewhere in between the program just to kind of have a feel about what this universe the packages these universities offer. So in my mind I was gonna do civil engineering. That was ready. Straight go. I had already made my choices of the colleges I wanted to go. Sheffield was my first one in civil. I can't remember the rest, but I got Sheffield anyway. <laughs> mm. Then something my dad, my pa- your parents have to come anyway. So my dad being the systematic guy, he came in and uh, he asked one very hard question to one of the the university representatives who came for that fair and asked him, okay, so what opportunities does my child get by him mm. coming there? Then the guy talked about um, once he graduates, he will have a very strong degree that he can use towards seeking employment in the future, wherever he may so wherever he may wish. My father was keen about can he do that in the UK? Then um, the guy now kind of stammered through it. it was like essentially he would have to come back home, get but he he'd have to get a job and somebody who's willing to sponsor him to get a work visa and then go there so it's like so he's staying in the uk is gonna be completely tethered on an employer who could easily fire who could easily hire or fire him at any Mm. second and once he's fired he's pretty much now illegal and has to move back to kenya Mm -hmm. there is no way we are going to be paying fees in sterling pounds Mm. and my return on investment comes back in kenya shillings i'll take 90 years making that money back Mm. Yeah, you know, when people normally say that education is an investment, mm. my dad takes that very seriously to the point where he actually does the numbers. Really? Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like, okay, if you go do a master's, that's four years of working that you've lost. Let's assume that the lowest salary you're going to get is X, right? Mm. That's your opportunity cost if you choose to go do your master's for your for that for your master's that you want to do. This degree will cost you this. So essentially, the cost of getting that degree is all the money you have lost that you would have gotten while working, plus the fee we are paying. So, how much hey. money will you make after, and how long will you take to recoup both the cost of the fees plus the opportunity cost? If if it goes above ten years, he's not taking that option. Mm. <laughs> Clean. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, after that fair. He just approached me and told me, Newton, you're not stepping in that country. Then now I was thrown off. So I was like, okay, we're not going to the UK. I'm in Brookhouse. You've already finished paying the fee. So he's like, you can just finish your he was like, you can just finish your program. Um, so me, the only thing that was left was now Juja. And now my head was about leaving. You get. Yeah. So I now delved into some US colleges. Got I got admission actually in every single college I applied. I applied to University of Chicago. I, I pretty much focused in the Illinois State because I had a, I have a lot of family who stays there. Mm. And to me, that quickly became a downside. The fact that I'd be policed in college. Yeah. <laughs> but that was not the reason why I didn't end up going to the States. So the States had a slightly small... It had a... It had, more lenient roles, roles when it comes to those uh, getting opportunities in the future. 
but there were still conditions to it that were a little bit too rough to deal with. Mm. Like, um, and I, I'm speaking this from my own research. I am open to criticism. I am not, I, I cannot say this is gospel truth. This is how I know the system works. So for you to go to the States as a student, you have to get an F1 visa. Mm. And then once you graduate, there's something they call an OTP. I don't know what it means in full, but I know it's OTP in initials, which is essentially a postgraduate permit to work in the US for up to three years. But the condition for you to be granted that OTP is getting a job offer. You don't have to be sponsored though. That's the good Mm. thing. And there's a deadline to when you can get that offer, right? Mm -hmm. So, which implies that if you don't get the job by then, you're out. You've already yeah. lost your momentum in staying in the States. Mm-hmm. So let's let's say fortunately you get a job and you do the whole OTP process, right? Um, mm-hmm. Once you get an employer, he, won't be, he may not be willing to sponsor you yet. So you have to try a lottery system. Yeah. So there's another lottery system for a work visa. I think it's called H-1B visa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have to tr- you have to apply and try your luck. There's a limited number of slots, and it's a randomized system, so you have no control over your merits towards getting it. Yeah. So and that's entire. And if you, if you don't get it within those first three years of your OTP, then you'll have to quit your job and leave. That's another hurdle. The fact that now I have to purely depend on luck. Mm. But there's no harm in hoping for the best. So there's that, and even after that that still doesn't grant you permanent residence. So you don't get to stay and invest in yourself in the way you wanted. That's assuming you want to stay there. As the concept of my father goes, if you spend money in dollars, you pay in dollars. You get, paid you in get dollars. it back in if dollars. Spare, yeah, that's pretty much how you worked. Mm-hmm. So the US was looking unlikely because of those hurdles. Yeah. Then came Canada. Canada was interesting. There was one university fair I was going to cancel on. Then I approach it. It's the college I'm in right now. Um, University of Alberta for reference, for those people who want to know. Um, so there was a university representative who came and then she marketed the college just like any other, any other representative would do. But she said something that really caught my attention. The fact that I could come here and upgrade my degree to a cooperative education degree. The U.S. actually has a similar program, but you're still stuck in the cycle of those con- those uh, conditional permits. Mm. But Canada is a little bit different. Canada, mm-hmm. they give you the permit. And then just if things don't work out immediately, you can buffer the process and just apply for a new one and keep up. So you can keep staying and figuring things out. So even if you're in limbo, you are given that grace. Yeah. So she mentioned something to do with cooperative education, where you can upgrade your degree from a traditional degree to that, which would imply that there's a work component to your degree that you have to fulfill to graduate. And the good thing about that cooperative education is that the job is full-time, it is paid at the standards of industry for that profession. Mm. So if you're doing a co-op in nursing, you will be paid as a nurse, at the market rate of a nurse. Really? As a, yes. Not as, a, as an immigrant, <laughs> not as a... Uh-huh. No, they don't know you're... No, once you're in the workforce, it's not about you being an immigrant or a citizen. 
if mm. you're there legally, mm-hmm. the rates are the same for everybody. The ah, only nice. place, yeah, the only place where there's disparity is when you go to college. International mm. students pay in Canada, it's crazy. They pay four, five fold what international students pay. No, what hey. the locals pay. By locals, we are talking about Canadian citizens and permanent residents. Temporary residents, like us students, international students, we pay four, five fold. Yeah. And my university is not cheap. Mm. My, it's just not cheap. My local friends are paying five, they're paying about six, seven thousand a semester. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying like 20, 25,000 no a semester. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So 25 grand a semester, dollars. And I'm like, it's the cost of engineering anyway. And that's, <laughs> and that's with awards. I've already, I, I, some awards that I got through merit-based uh, scholarship that I got in between my college. That's, that's the final value that I have to pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So there's that pressure to make sure that you actually perform if you come as an international student. Because that yeah. is big. Mm. Anyway. Let's rewind back to the whole corporate, the back when they were marketing the university. Let's not get to the university yet. So, um, the whole cooperative education program has that work component, as I said, and um, it allow it has to be slightly less than half your degree. So, if your degree is five years, it should not go beyond two two years. Let's put it like that. It shouldn't be yeah. half. It should be less than, so mm. that you're actually a student, not a worker. Mm. and the good thing about that work permit it's not sponsored it's actually granted to you the sponsor is the university and it's granted to you by the fact that you're a student as long as you qualify for the program the government grants it to you ah nice Uh uh-huh yeah and they grant it to you immediately in the u.s you have to apply for it when you get the job Mm. so until you don't until and sometimes the jobs wants you to start working say tomorrow and you know the whole bureaucracy and the wait times are happening out there. So you tend to lose opportunities just because you have to wait mm. for the government to let you do what you want. You need to do. Canada does not have that hurdle. So the aspect that I can mm-hmm. get some work experience in my field in the future really, really enticed me. That was actually my selling point. And mm. I had already thrown everything I knew out the window and I was like, Canada is all the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I ditched UK. I then ditched US, the second plan. Then I went to North Canada. And I stuck to that till I got here. The only thing is, if I, once I came, I came on the traditional program. So my university has this first year program where you have to work around. Um, it's called qualifying year for engineering. Nobody is in any specified field. So you just join engineering. Then based off your grades on that first year, you're put on a merit list, a merit system where you are now based on your choices of which disciplines you want to go into. Your that's it's it's competitive, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So there are slots allocated for different programs. So you have to rank all the programs the universities offer, and then they select you based on how the slots are filled out and how many people are actually above you out of your GPA. Mm. Um. I came to a realization somewhere at some point in my degree that the only reason I wanted to do civil engineering was because that's all I knew. My mm. father was my father is a civil engineer and that's all he talked about in the house. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually asked myself that question is when I realized 
I'm not so sure if I want to do in civil engineering because I didn't know anything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, my university offered seminars on every single discipline before I finished my first year. I attended all of them and I got well informed in different fields. And what got my attention was mechanical. Mm. My father didn't like that choice for like two years, but then he finally settled <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I made my decision. I ranked mechanical with the biomedical minor as my top, which I missed because they only granted to 17 students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were like 4,000 students enrolled that year in engineering alone. Mm-hmm. So I had to be the top 17 in the entire university. And maintaining that high GP is hard. <laughs> hey, even for you. Hmm? Even for you. Yeah, it's, I'm not only doing math. I'm doing some... <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get into the technicals of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got like a three point... I missed it by just one, point one, So I was not able to qualify. In fact, just by getting 3.9, I was not anywhere in the top 50. Really? And they were taking 17. Yeah. Damn. Remember, uh-huh. this, and funny enough, everyone above me was an international student. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So... You really don't know. You know, you can gauge... I don't want to say you can gauge how people are smart in Kenya. But I understand the (laughs) Kenyan context. When I came here, you can see some people who are just... Winged in university. But those are people actually who are really smart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, let's just say... The chemistry that I met in university was completely different from the chemistry I knew in high school. And that's where I kind of lost it a little bit. And... I missed my program. But I'm glad that happened because the people who do that program are actually really stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that I actually don't know why I wanted the whole minor aspect of it. So in a way, as I said, luck. I was actually mm. lucky to fail in this in this situation. But and I say fail in a very subjective way because people yeah. are gonna look at me saying 3.9 and 3.9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's for context it's very subjective in that case yeah so i got into my program fast forward now the problem with i qualified for that with a co-op option because my gp was good usually the co-op options are usually the top choices for students and if they get filled up you don't get it Mm. then i got into finally i got my program i got my offer letter for co-op then i i pretty much extended my study permit now for the entirety of my program. And then I got my work permit on top of that to work for my work component of my degree. Then now another hard work came whereby um, you have to look for the job yourself, which the university said they're going to guide you as much as possible, but it's still your job to look for. It's still your task to look for that job. Mm. Um, being an international student, it can be hard because your connections are quite limited compared to your your local friends who have had parents here. In simple terms, Ningekwa Kenya, my dad would have probably talked to a couple of people and I'd find myself in an office. You get? Yeah. Yeah. But now here it can be a little bit different. But it's what... the same thing actually. I thought that is no like... that's that, that's I was coming to that. Oh, the good thing uh-huh. about here is that meritocracy has some weight. Mm. Some a lot more weight than other factors. Mm. So to some degree your merits count. In Kenya, it's like merits get thrown out the window. It's like people yeah. sending their degrees and they throw that away and then they just look at your last name. If it's a name that's yeah. prominent, they ask, are you related to X? 
okay tell him to give us a call and then we'll see we can get you somewhere to sit down here and the fact that that happens pisses me off <laughs> mm. but i'm just i have this settling feeling that here there is some essence of merit that actually matters so you may not know anyone but if you actually do really well in your extra like if you really pump up your resume Based mm. on your work experience, your volunteering experience, all the clubs and societies you're involved in, all the charities you're in, yeah, you are like you're likely to get people's eye. Mm. Yeah. So the whole job search process, the first job was hard because my resume is still blank. Yeah. Word, yeah. So I was able to get this job. The first job was with a company called Corrosion Services. It's both in Canada and in the US where I was doing, I was a, I was pretty much just testing pipes and doing line location, pretty much finding out where the pipes are because the pipes are quite old and earth moves and all that stuff. So they want me to actually go in the field and do that. The only problem is that I got that job during the winter. So it hey. was really cold out there. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, Canada is the second largest country in the world after Russia. And we're doing the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Running from Vancouver to Montreal. <laughs> That's literally across the country. It will take you at least a week if you're driving continuously up. And that's your speeding. Mimi Ndiohuyo, Uzuri, I joined, I got, I got in the job when they had already finished the first province, British Columbia. So Canada is divided in provinces, just to make sure that it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so British Columbia, Lukome, Malizwa. So since I'm in Alberta, upon it until we got to, I didn't enter Quebec. So there was another university that students were hired to start from Quebec coming into Ontario. Um, I had one weird experience though. Um, I was given a company truck and uh, I fell in a lake. <laughs> what? With the truck. What do you mean? So this, this company, we normally have geomaps that every company has that does surveying. So I was doing a surveying job. I was looking for the pipes. The problem was there was a new lake formed. It was winter. It had snowed. I think over the years it had snowed in that area. And Mm -hmm. then water pulled up and then there was a new lake formed. And they hadn't updated that on their maps. Then that day was very cold. So there was some some layer of ice on top of that frozen lake. Actually, that's how it got frozen anyway. (laughs) Mm. Then... Once it's solid, when it snows, snow just settles on top of that, that ice layer. You get? Yeah. So you wouldn't know where there's earth and where there's a lake. Mm-hmm. Then, um, so me, um, the pipe was actually under the lake. So I drove there, took my equipment, started doing my line location to make sure I know where the pipe is so that I can trace it out based on what they told me to do. Mm-hmm. Then something weird happened. I started hearing cracks right underneath my feet. <laughs> and this is a movie. It wasn't deep though. It wasn't deep though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then I'm like, I'm trying to brush off the snow that is on my ground to see why is it cracking. Then I see something that's a little bit dark, but it's kind of see-through. That's when you know, shit, I'm on ice. <laughs> yeah. And it was a large area. I wasn't even sh- then I the next thing I see is my truck plunging in 
<laughs> Dead so, ass. Yeah, the whole truck plunged and it was so cold. So I was this scared that I was going to get hypothermia that day. Mm. Then I crashed, I broke through the ice and then I fell in. The, it, it, I was pretty much in like three quarter my body. Mm-hmm. And I was freezing at that time. It was like minus, was it, like, it was like minus 30 that day. Degrees Damn, I can't even imagine what minus 30 <laughs> I'm not experienced yeah. even. So the one thing is minus out 10. Of it and there are? Every time I try to climb out, because there's nothing else around me other than ice, the ice is too brittle, it just breaks again. So mm. I had to paddle my way through. I had to paddle my way through the the whole frozen lake. Then um, with no help, no had... nothing. Yeah, there's no help, no one inside. No, I had other friends who were working on other zones. So mm. and there was no signal that area. Luckily, we bought uh, what do you call those things? Walkie talkies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to signal my team and tell them that yo. My job has just gone bad. <laughs> yeah. Then they came and saw my truck was halfway through the frozen lake, and I was—I had already paddled my way to somewhere there was actually a rock, so I was fortunate to just sit there. But now I was getting really cold, and hypothermia would have kicked in real fast. Mm. So they brought in a, a tow truck to try and like fish out the the truck from the frozen lake. But then in the process, the tow truck also fell in the lake. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so they had to call a second tow truck to remove the first tow truck so that the two tow trucks can collaborate to remove the truck <laughs> mm. uh, I think I put a tongue twister there but it's I know you get the story yeah yeah. so I was actually so pissed I, I, was, I was dismissed from work for the day I went back to my hotel room tried to warm myself up they asked me if I wanted to go to hospital because I was actually in really bad shape I think mm. hypothermia was about to kick in. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I went, I got checked, I was fine. Then the company really apologized. And um they actually I told I they, I had to I had you know you have to write a report about an incident. I told them that yeah. I just followed the map. And on checking the map, they saw there was no lake there, but in on the ground there was a lake. So they knew that they, they were at fault. Mm. So I didn't know I had grounds for litigation. But they just reimbursed me properly. Properly? <laughs> I was a first, I was like a second year student at the time. Properly. I was just about to and... ask you that. Did you get your money's worth? <laughs> yeah, they, they reimbursed me properly in a way that I even forgot I had to, uh, that I was angry. And I was like, is this the money that you people actually give when mistakes happen? I was like, why didn't I get hurt like three more times? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, my second job was quite good. Like, that's now I fast forward, like I didn't have much of any bad experiences. Um the pay was nice, but the good thing with this second job, it came with benefits like health insurance, I got a pension plan, I got all that stuff, which I can redeem at any point once. Mm. Yeah. Um the experience was in the oil and gas field. It was for a company called Pemina Pipelines. It's it's based in Houston, Texas, but then um I was working for the Calgary office in Edmonton, in uh, in Canada. That's where the that's their Canadian headquarters. But I was working in an oil field that was a little bit up north, in a city called Grand Prairie, in the same province. Yeah, sometimes I would get a couple of projects stateside, so I would work remotely from the US. Then I just fly down to see them, mm. and 
it's not that I can go with a Canadian visa. I was just fortunate to have a US visa on my passport. That's why I was able to do these things. Otherwise, oh, I have to sit down. Mm. There's no benefit by living in Canada that you can just cross over to the other side. Um, I really don't want to dwell on the whole job thing because it's going to sound like I'm just rambling. But let's just say, overally, I have garnered a good chunk of experience. I have had chances to cross over stateside. Then I came to this realization that many of the companies that are just here are probably just they emanate from the States or the other way around. Like my last job was actually in Canada, but still has business in the US side. Mm. Yeah. So that meant that in the long term, I learned that these Canadian employers, employees basically, the ones who are Canadian citizens, they can they qualify for this thing called the TN visa, which if you get a job stateside, you don't even need to do anything. Just go there. And then when you get to the airport, you just tell them, I got a job here. This is the job offer. I qualify for it. Here are my degrees. Here are my, all the credentials I need. Then they just stamp it on your passport and tell you, okay, come in and work. Hey. But, and I, I hope you government, like, that government will pay you very well for advertising for them. Because I hear they really love immigrants. Um, they are always talking about labor shortages. As Even as we speak right now, there is a directive that was given by the Ministry of Immigration saying that all international students can now work full-time. Mm. As long as it doesn't hinder your... Of course, there are conditions to it. You must have applied for a study permit before a certain date because they don't want people taking advantage of that. People coming here solely for the purpose of working because now they can. Yeah. So you have to find yourself on-side, not off-side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So... So such policies are very friendly and it's like they're trying to incorporate us as much as possible. And uh, they see us as people who they want to keep so that they can just grow their economy. So it's brain drain for home, but then for them it's gain because their populations Mm -hmm. are declining. You know that whole system, right? Yeah. The way they do it in the Western world. Our population is declining. We need more immigrants. The only kind that doesn't do that is the US, is uh, UK. US also does the same, but they're more family-based. They're not really oriented in um, economic immigration. They're like, oh, you have a dad here, he'll bring you. You have yeah. a wife, you bring them. You have a child, you bring them. Yeah, but Canada is Canada has that, but the major method of immigration is economic. So if you come with a PhD, you have a higher chance of getting in than somebody who has a bachelor's. It's not really mm-hmm. about family. But there are family, there's lots for family sponsorships. Like you can bring your grandparents, your parents, your brother, your sister. Their options are there. Another, I love that you brought the point of brain. I want to ask you a question on, initially you said, before you said you're thinking about exploring going abroad, you are all pro-Kenya and wanting to, you know, feed back into Kenya and uh, elevate this, the conditions in Kenya. And so, where is your mind at as of now? Do you see yourself coming back to Kenya anytime soon? Any to reform the system? Or is it one of those things where you first build yourself, build your family, get all that good stuff, then eventually, probably in retirement, after your family has grown and your children have moved out, is when you come back to Kenya? And also, just again on that education system, now that we've talked about it expansively, is that when you contrast it to the Kenyan system, um, where you talked about, at least for the current system, they are not appreciating how you wanted to learn on your own terms. Do you feel like now there, 
they've appreciated that that you've been able to learn on your own terms you've been able to explore a lot you've been able to be more of a thinker and not necessarily tied down to uh, a certain fixed way of just thinking and like how it for four makes it Okay. Um. Hey, you've asked two very long questions. I'm trying to remember the first one already. <laughs> book smart. Book smart. First one was pro Kenyan. Oh, my sentiment still stands. I I have never changed that mind. I've never changed that mindset. The only thing is, by coming here, I was open to other things that I could do. I think by me coming here, I was just exposed to something else. But I'm still. I'm not anti-living. That was the only thing that changed. Back then, I was anti-living. But mm. now, I'm not. The only thing is, I'm still pro-Kenyan. Like, as we speak right now, I'm still trying to find my niches that I can give back actively, even right now. So that, at least, in as, it's not, I don't, I, don't want it, I don't want to be looked at as one of those variables in the Brendan metrics of Kenya. Like, I don't yeah. want to be a lost intellect entity for kenya because i decided to leave mm. you get yeah i want i want to create home in such a way that you don't have to think of living because mm. that was my initial dream you get yeah i didn't I, that was initially i didn't want to leave i came here i have met friends in college who are canadians and the way they perceive life you can actually feel the difference in the world they've lived in. For them, going to going abroad is just tipping your toes. You, it's like it's like an exchange program. You've heard of exchange yeah. programs, right? Yeah. They just want to go and try something else. Somebody literally told me went to try university in Indonesia because he just liked the food. I mm. want Kenyans to have that same line of thought. They just want to go and figure out how people do things here and then come back. Yeah. Not this idea of hey, the moment I get a chance to just leave these borders, I'm staying on the other side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So I think that the thing, the thing about people is the thing about people is the fact that systems don't work at home completely. Yes. Like either there's too much bureaucracy, there's lack of goodwill, or or there's mm. a complete mismatch between how do I put it there's a complete mismatch between skills and opportunities if that makes sense yeah because you're finding a whole trained engineer in your matatu as a conductor and then you're finding that somebody who should be the conductor is seated in a public office claiming to know what to do for Kenyans mm. are you mm. seeing are you seeing that whole disparity yeah yeah and it's funny, I was having a conversation with one of my friends and uh, she was telling me how Kenyans just don't want to live out their comfort zone. Like, they're so used to this process. Then I'm like, don't you find that statement an oxymoron? How do you call that a comfort zone? Yet, I just feel like you're all uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a very good oxymoron, <laughs> but I, I agree with her to some extent, but uh-huh. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's the problem. Um, I, I actually came to realize there's a very big disconnect on how Kenyans think and how Kenyans want the world to be. But that's the thing. You can't move the, you can't move that world closer to Kenya and you also can't move those Kenyans closer to that world. Mm. So what I'm trying to figure out is, is there a way I can create a link 
So that's the niche I'm trying to find. Like sayu nasikia wanajaribu ku collect more they're trying to increase collections in revenues back at home is there a way we can create a very easy digital platform because everybody can make an IG account so you can yeah. create a very easy account like that and then let Kenyans just do their business create an account run your business on that platform the way Shopify works essentially mm-hmm. but then the system naturally does the numbers for you so that you pretty much know the collections that you need to make and then the system automatically separates the income alafu pesa yende to caring so kila mtu anapata chenye anataka the kenyan is focusing on what they know i just want to make sales i just want yeah. to nataka kufanya biashara yangu ndogo caring sama i just want to collect the money to be able to run this government you get yeah. so yeah they want more capital investors we created we are creating like okay i don't want to say we I'm throwing out my idea out I'm throwing my idea out there. I'm trying to find a group of web devs to the to develop something like that for free so it's pro bono. Then we'll find a way to monetize it in the future. <laughs> mm. So now that I put it on your podcast it's going to be a permanent reminder to make sure yes. you get it done. <laughs> yes. True. That is very true. <laughs> I have just given myself now I've set myself a trap essentially. Yes. Something to hold you accountable. Of- Yeah, I don't want to think of it as a trap. I want to think of it as my responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So essentially, um because look at everybody knows how to run Mpesa. Mpesa is technology based, but not everybody is tech savvy. Yeah. But Mpesa works. Are you saying, work. So the the person who my grandmother knows how to operate Mpesa. Mm. So why can't we center why can't we try and create tech that's or platforms that work like that mm. because those platforms are able to be dummied down and i use dummy not to offend anyone <laughs> but can yeah. Dummy, yeah they can be dummied down to how anybody can use a kenyan society can use and it still gets the job done mm. so even pesa works why can't we just try and do everything else in a similar manner Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially how I look at it. So, I'm still trying to explore more niches. Mm. So, as of now, I'm just working on like a small project where I want to see if we can create a platform that can work in that manner where people can access capital investments from investors who are willing to enter the platform as investors for businesses mm-hmm. and make and reap their profits through capital investing through like dividend processes and also create a tax process where the revenue authorities back at home can get their their cut essentially so that yeah. people have their thriving businesses through accessing the funds that's the going to be the selling point accessing the funds nobody it's going to be a little bit less it's going to be less hassle trying to get through the whole tax regime because people don't understand carry people just know that there's this animal that wants money yeah it's, yeah but there's no system around it in fact wana unasikia na someone anataka to collect more but then you don't even know how they're going to do it because mm. very people are actually already in the system if any. yeah now the majority are are just filing nil taxes so mm. yeah mm, interesting i always because in my podcast i have very brilliant minds on this podcast <laughs> like if I, if i want to sleep an extra minute my guess always just wanaanitangamsha tu like there's no room for that so eh, yeah. i'd love to see that actually implement work because as you said 
that they, we have an idea of the world we want to, but there's no link to actually reaching. Because again, at times we are very comfortable. Someone said that our, even in terms of human corruption, our greed is more than our hunger. So, you know, we're so used to the status quo that we'll never go out and like riot or whatever because we're just used to the mediocrity that is already in the system. And so we're not, and that has become our comfort. And so, yeah. mm, interesting. Like, as you've said, greed is a very big disease that home has that pretty much brings forth the whole corrupt behavior. So if it's, if it's difficult to treat the greed, I don't think it's difficult to separate him from the food. Mm-hmm. So people are focusing on telling people change, be a good person. But then you realize, if you realize that doesn't work, why don't you just stop giving him the food or make the food inaccessible to him? Yeah. So instead of like now, even if the career doing their collections, make a system that is so robust that nobody can penetrate, even the people who make it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that can be achieved. I mean, if you have IG and you trust that they don't have your password, mm. so they can't essentially they can't access your account in the way you want them to access. What's so difficult about creating a system that blocks person X from taking X amount of money from yeah. the public offers and all that? That's something that can easily be created. You just need people to sit down and actually now figure out all these loopholes and fix them. Mm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, we should but actually... There has to be some sense. There has to be some degree of goodwill. That's the only problem. There has to be yeah. some goodwill because the very people can be compromised and create a backdoor. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. There has to be the right amount of goodwill for mm. these things to actually happen. So mm. I just realized that it's, it's difficult moving people to a world they want it's difficult to move the world to the people just build the links yeah yeah that's my that's that's how i see it and question number two on uh, landing on your own terms is the system they're appreciating that yes a lot let mm-hmm. me okay i came to discover that my learning style is more in it's 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 this engaging kind of learning where I actually the prof comes to me and asks me what do you think mm. and then if I give my opinion he then he tries to counter it not dismissing my idea of it being wrong maybe showing me a new variable that I probably did not consider yeah you see you, you get what I'm, I'm going with this yeah yes so it's more or less discussion so in the process you come to realize oh so if I incorporate this it affects a b c and hence this like good so it comes down to engaging me so at the end of the day he, he my prof normally one of my profs uh, i think he was my dynamics prof back in second year he told me that learning is a personal journey don't let me mm. tell you how to do things and that's when i knew that's the prof i'd like <laughs> yeah because that's literally been my motto the whole time because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, can you get it done? And can you prove it in a way that people understand? Yes. And that's the beauty of engineering. Like, I'm actually very keen to learn how other people do it, but I know how I've done it myself. Yes. At the end of the day, it's, this is the goal. This is how we achieve it. So that process, you'll come to realize that probably your group member is going to do it in a completely different way. Mm. And I've learned how to appreciate that. That's actually how I learn. 
seeing yeah. how other people do it, but it doesn't imply that I'm going to do it the same way. Yeah, and that you're wrong. Yeah. Mm. So I would and... say that that's the that's that style really worked for me. When I hear people in Kenya going to lecture rooms and just saying, "Just give us notes, we'll go read it," I'm like, "Okay, you can pass an exam, but did you learn anything?" Mm. Because if you have notes, you can read, and then as long as you know what's going to come in the exam, you just write what you know and pass and then move to the next class. But at the end of the day, if somebody asks you, what did you learn? You're like, mm, I just passed the class. Next, on to the next. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked for me. Yeah, I think that's a big flaring system. I was talking to someone again the other day, just saying, you know, the person is saying you'd rather pass three units, like let's say you're doing five units, you'd rather pass three units and understand them well, then just pass all of them and... Uh, not understand anything and i was saying i was asking him do you think our system appreciates that because now for the person who passed all these units obviously it's easier to get a job because now you you graduate with better grades and all that so does the system really appreciate the understanding of concepts or are we just doing it for the sake you know and even with that i want to ask you like even as we wind up for you um we talked about how obviously the investment on education is very big and uh, there's obviously pressure to perform. Do you feel like, has the pressure ever gotten to you that, hey, my parents are paying, and I wouldn't even want to convert it to Kenya shillings, but are paying X amount. And, uh, you know, like, has that pressure ever gotten to you to a point where you feel like, ah, you need to, you're, you're not, you're now not living the life you'd want to live. You have to just go over and beyond to try, you know, at least get that 4.0 GPA and, ETC, ETC. Okay. On your first question on whether you feel like the whole trying to learn process is well appreciated back in Kenya, my personal opinion would be no. I don't... I have nothing against using grades as a filtering process. When you interview people, sometimes it gets very difficult to select the best fit for the job. Sometimes you find somebody who just ticks all the boxes. You find like five people who tick all the boxes. And now the only criteria you're left with is how well they did in college. Right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. But that's the problem. Have you seen I've put that statement? The yes. only criteria you're left with is how well they did in college. Mm. The problem in Kenya is the other way around. Yes. How well did you do in college? I got a B. Don't even talk to me. You started with B. I would accept yeah. an A minus. I would compromise for an A minus. The fact that you said the word compromise and A minus in the same statement makes no sense. It's where the issue is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, somebody who's gotten a B has done really well. Mm. Yeah. But then, once you get on the job, I've always wondered do you actually get an exam paper on the job and you get paid after you finish the exam paper, or do you actually work through the job? Yes. Exactly. So, his grades to me, in my the grades in that case are irrelevant. Because mm. you're going to end up retraining this person to be able to deliver the tasks that you're going to give him at the job. Yes. And that's, the, that's basically what you need. Somebody who can actually get stuff done. Not somebody who can just pass a paper. But someone was arguing that with that, passing probably just shows the kind of discipline this person has. So, for example, passing university shows that this person attended their classes because there's merit for classwork, group work, they're good collaborators. So someone was arguing that they use that, the, the, the grading system 
to just mm-hmm. show probably to reflect probably other traits that the person might ha- might have and not necessarily just the grade someone who got an a probably was very dig- diligent someone who got a first class was very diligent very you know so what do you think about that as well as you've said probably yes that's a big gamble to me. <laughs> the one mm. probably makes it a very big gamble. Hey, when you go uh-huh. for an interview, they ask you, tell me a time when you worked in a team. They want to see how you approached it. Yes. They want to hear that. You know, if I hear you say how you approached a problem in a, in a situation where you're in a team, so you can talk about a group project and then mm. there's probably one person who was not pushing their weight. So how did you approach that? Did you quickly run to the professor and start heckling or do you just kick them out of the group or you get yes they want to see how you handled that so that's more of a behavioral question and once you give me the answer i'll know the kind of person you are well you can be trained to answer those questions right but i think that's a better way to approach such a thing rather than guessing that by having an a you are good in everything you are not you are just yeah. good at reading notes as well in our system you are probably good at cramming and you know, because yeah. you know, for us again, we have the whole Okwa same thing where you can miss the whole semester, but you'll just cram and deliver. It's not like probably my brother who tells me for them they have assignments every week that are graded and account to your last grade. You know. Yeah, here it's continuous assessment. Yes, everything counts. Mm. And to me, I know this sounds weird, but to me, doing extremely well is a red flag. because if you're not if you're you're always scoring is like which life are you living Mm. you should be you should how do i put it okay now if i ask you what challenges have you faced in your life what are you going to tell me i got a 3.9 that probably is the biggest challenge (laughs) (laughs) see what i did there anyway yeah uh wow i get it shots fired well received (laughs) anyway Uh uh-huh my point is, when you understand somebody at their lowest, that's when you will truly know who they, how they can be in mm. all circumstances. Because, come on, even in companies, there are, there are bad days and there are good days. There are times you'll not deliver on projects. How do you approach it? There are times yes. you have to talk down your clients. You need people who can actually do that. Yeah. But if you have somebody who only understands success, mm-hmm. you, know, su- you know, being able to navigate failure is a success on its own. Yes. That, that's the that's one thing that people true. don't do. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Being able to navigate failure is a success on its own. And that's the thing. It's impossible to claim you don't have a failure. Mm. Yeah. I've had my downsides. And has it been easy to navigate them? Of course, it's not easy. Sometimes you have to make concessions. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to learn from those processes. <laughs> And yeah. I feel like that's what people need to be looking at. At home, I bring you a result slip with a couple of A's, and then that's how you want. That's what you. That's what you used to hire me. Mm. I will. I, for some reason, I will never agree to that. Mm, it's interesting. Hard. Yeah, I would never. As in, like, I would never agree to that. If I have a degree in uh, this program, there's nothing wrong with using my transcript as a criteria of filtering like after you've already done everything of course there's the benchmark grade you have to get you can't go to college and just score this that shows that you're just not working at all yeah that's clear but if you've scored a that's just shows you are good at reading 
if you score these, it just means you are not taking your school very seriously. That's already a bad trait on its own. So that can be a little bit dangerous. But on the other end, it's good, yes, but that's just one box you've ticked. Yeah. But in Kenya, that is the only box that they have. Yeah. <laughs> so that one tick is... It's like your job is binary. The moment you don't meet that criteria, you're already out. Yeah. That's why you find that kids are stressed out right from KCPE. And honestly, that denies them the whole idea of being kids. And it has yeah. never been okay with me. Um, what was the second question again? I don't want to drill on We actually so need to have a whole podcast on that. That's actually very interesting. <laughs> I think there's lots of things to talk about. That. Yeah. The second question was on... Uh the big investment on your education do you, uh, the, the, the pressure. Pressure. yes <sighs> so in the families of obocha <laughs> mm. there's a very there's a very weird uh, dynamic sometimes i feel it mm-hmm. so we are, we are, i have two younger siblings mm-hmm. i have a sister and a brother my sister is a fourth year student same college with me so my parents have double the weight. So mm-hmm. it kind of doubles the pressure. <laughs> uh-huh. In a way. And then um I have a very high achieving brother. So sometimes when we have our weekly calls with my with our with our parents, we have this very how do I put it? Especially when it comes down to grades. You see, my dad my dad sometimes does it very subtly and sometimes I feel like it's very unhealthy, but he has this very comparative behavior. Mm. So there's these internal clashes that come as a result. But the good thing is we have such stable minds, the three kids and my mom. And my mom well protects us from what our dad normally does, mm. such that we are not we don't feel like we are this outcast of the three. So it's like my father my father tries to trigger this whole race of the best child in terms of academia you get yeah yeah so i remember when my sister finished her high school she did better than me in kcse mm-hmm. so my father's like ah you even did better than newton hmm? that mm. means you're, you're destined for even greater things than what you'll ever get hey, now, look uh-huh. that mean that a father should be saying <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> we're not fathers but i don't think so uh, yeah so, and mind you, she, she only got a point higher than me. Not to discredit mm-hmm. her effort, but she only got a point higher than me. So, relatively, we kind of performed a little bit similarly. I just, I just got one point less. Yeah. But you got the same grade anyway. Mm. Um, my brother, well, we, there's no much comparative behavior because after his... I think he was. I, th- I think he was the top boy in Nairobi County during his KCP. He was able to secure hey. a Moody. You know this Moody Award. I, I don't even ever heard about it. It's a no. scholarship offered by Moody Award. I don't know if he's even mm. alive. So it's 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 given to the top. I think student Makini. I know Makini is where it usually is granted. My during my year there was a friend of mine. Her name is Anne. She's currently working for Prize Waterhouse Coopers in the UK. She's the one who got mm-hmm. the scholarship during our time. Mm. My brother got it during his time. So mm. after class eight, year, end of year nine, Brookhouse. And that's what has been keeping him there till now. Hey. Uh-huh. Yeah. So my parents' money is not focused really on my brother. It's just focused on my sister and I when we are here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, some, to some degree, I feel like that way it is gone. But 
my brother was able to secure scholarships straight after primary school. For the rest of us, it has been awards that our colleges have granted us. Canada is not very generous with scholarships, especially at undergrad level. Mm. Masters and PhDs, you may get lucky. Not get lucky. There are very many opportunities for that. Most of my friends are graduate, graduate sai, so maybe now is the time to look for that masters if cost was the inhibiting factor come on mm. there are opportunities as long as you get a professor to supervise you you're probably mm-hmm. it's probably going to be fully funded by the college because if it's a research based program that is mm. yeah so i would say there's been this imposter that was a digress sorry back to what yeah. you're talking about there's been this weird how do i put it when i call it imposter syndrome or something mm-hmm. <laughs> like you find that your seniors, like now my sister's in college just like I am. So there's, a, there's an easy comparative system for both of us, GPA, because it's yes. the same. My sister does a lot better than I do. Hey, you're getting 3.9 and she does a lot better. <laughs> no, <laughs> see, for me, that was the beginning of my degree. Things kind of dwindled along the way because I've been doing, how do I put it, I've not had breaks. I've been doing six units a semester in here we call them courses what you call units we call courses what you call mm-hmm. courses we call programs so let me call it in kenyan context that it makes sense so i was doing six units a semester for three semesters in one year for mm-hmm. her she she didn't qualify for the co-op program so she had her summer breaks intact yeah of taking them she decided to reduce her course load through each semester and take some classes during the summer. So she goes to school just like I do, but she does less classes a semester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has less burdens. But I don't want this to sound like justifying why she does better, but mm. I chose my path, so I might as well just say that. Well, fair game yeah. her. She chose hers and she does better. You get mm-hmm. so that has been getting to me quite a lot, and my father doesn't understand this whole process of oh she does more classes. You see, for me, I may be doing this, but I also have to focus on clubs, societies because I need to make my resume look good for my next job. You get because that's yeah. part of my degree. So yeah, essentially, for, he, for him it's the end that justifies. Yeah, but this uh, year I want my so. Mm-hmm. Bye. Hello. Oh yeah, I thought I lost. Yeah, can hear you. So by April, yeah, April it's gonna be a done deal. I'm currently still job hunting. Um, fortunately, I have I've been having interviews, but I'm still yet to hear back from them. And then I'll see what offers mm-hmm. I have by the end of my degree, and then we we'll see how things pan out from there. But school Inshallah. after he, I'm putting pause. <laughs> You need to, I think, doing engineering, then doing trisemesters, then working. That is so crazy. I can't even imagine doing all that. Because I, mean, yeah. I just imagine even with how I am, just putting in all that effort. And also having, again, as you said, having to be in clubs for your resume. That is so crazy. Like, all my respect to you, bro. Like, that is no mean feat. It's, it's trial and error. <laughs> and you I hope you, class you need me. I hope you give yourself a pat on the back and you acknowledge that your achievements are actually very worth it and not feel like they, you're just doing them. You know how sometimes you do things and for you, you feel like it's just commonplace. But 
you're actually doing great stuff, man. Yeah, the only thing is sometimes when I see, I think I became very aware of my momentum, I think the past year. And I started feeling a little bit sad because I felt like I wasn't indulging in the university life like most of my friends do. Many mm-hmm. people were actually just doing light course loads, enjoying life. Not to say that I don't do it. I do it very sparingly. Yeah. I already have my plan set out. Yeah. Back then, first year, second yeah. year, I was so focused on that plan that I was so blinded by the experience. Like, I suddenly forgot that there's a journey that I need to enjoy. I was yeah. so focused on the ends, you get. But then now, the moment yes. when I actually became a little bit more aware, I realized that I need to enjoy. I, I need to take time and enjoy the journey because that's how I'll truly appreciate how I got to the end. So ever since yes. I've tried to be a little bit more out there, more involved, try to share out what I'm doing, hear what other other some of my other friends are doing with their lives, and I've had very many interesting stories. Mm. So yeah, it kind of how do I put it? It makes me appreciate that there's so many ways in this thing can this thing can be done. Because at some point I was wondering, do I have alternatives? Because I felt like if I don't do this, I'll just never get what I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then on listening to other people, I realized, oh, everyone is actually... People may be doing whatever they're doing, but everybody actually has something cooking up. Mm, yeah. And if you don't... Uh, if you also don't focus on your own goals, then you will probably never get what you want. If yeah. you think that everybody's enjoying life the way you do, mm. yeah, then you could be offside when everybody's making it. <laughs> yeah. As someone was telling me, everyone has a, their own path and there's no m- manual to this thing. There's someone who probably is not thinking too much about it, but will still make it. And there's this, uh, us who want to have a, a roadmap of what we want to do by when, by when. And you know, like, chance happens to everyone, really, yeah. at the end of the day. That's true. Yeah, so I let the listeners tweet at us at the Bushan Report, pull us at the Bushan Report, and tell us all the things I loved about this episode, I think I told guys that season three, and I love how we're having this conversation in season three. So I also hope you felt formal for not being there for the dinner. So, I think I'm missing Kenya. I mean, Akina, <laughs> Sylvester, these are old friends, man. Like, I haven't seen them for like four years. What do you think I feel every time I see all this? So next for the next dinner, make sure you 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 can come down and uh, be with your people. So have a lovely week ahead, folks, and cheers. Mm-hmm.